welcome to Outside the Music Box. I'm Emma Williams. And I'm Chloe Prendergast. We're so glad you've joined us today. We're both violinists based in the Netherlands and have created this podcast in our search to find fun new ways to share and talk about music we love. Each episode, we explore a different piece of music through the eyes of a guest musician. Today's guest is Guy Fishman, who is a friend of mine that I get to play with sometimes when I'm back in the States. Today, he's chosen to bring in the cello concerto in C minor, RV401 by Antonio Vivaldi. We do our best to define the relevant music-y terms throughout the chat, but because this is our world and we're human, there might be things that we miss. So please let us know what these are, and we'll be sure to clarify them in future episodes. And don't worry about trying to remember the pieces and recordings we talk about. They are in the show notes, along with a link to a Spotify playlist, so you can go back and listen to all the pieces from this podcast yourself. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy Vivaldi's Cello Concerto in C Minor, RV 401. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, on this podcast, we like having our guests introduce themselves. So do you mind starting by introducing yourself? I, I do, actually. If people listening don't already know me, then they shouldn't be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Okay. Well, you know, everyone should go do their research first and now come back. Try the interwebs, everybody. I'm on there. <laughs> Um, no, of course. So my name is Guy Fishman, and I'm a cellist. I live in Boston. Uh, Chloe and I have played together quite a bit when she lived in America. She has not invited me over to Holland yet, but I'm, hey, I'm, I'm, working I'm on still it. hoping. <laughs> this is the first step. <laughs> and, um, and Emma, this is our first meeting. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet you yeah. too. Pleasure. Such a pleasure. Yeah, it's fun on this podcast to like get my friends to meet each other because we're having fun chats. I mean, I'm not having fun yet, but <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> all right, we've got to pick up our game. I'm hoping <laughs> you brought drinks, right? Yeah, green tea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, um, we have still continued to play together, even though I moved to Europe. That's true. I would just like to point that out. That's true. Um. Also, I would like to start, since you are a cellist and you are actually our first cellist, I think, on this podcast, I would like to start by asking you what it feels like to be playing what's generally considered the sexiest instrument. Do you feel like that's true? And do you feel like you have a rival with the gamba? Do, do you know, well, no. I mean, we clearly <laughs> okay. won that battle. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the gamba has some sexy performers. Um, mm. 
that's too many yeah. too many strings it's like you know it's a high maintenance <laughs> instrument you, you look at that thing and you're like it's beautiful but it's gonna ruin my life you know i'm staying away you know uh, make good choices people uh <laughs> let's see uh, I, you know, I've never heard that. This is the first time anyone has said that really? to me, that the cello is the really? sexiest instrument. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I feel like everyone I know says that to me, especially non-musicians are like, well, you know, the cello is the sexiest instrument. And I'm like, yeah, I, I do know. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Um, and so today you've brought us a concerto by Vivaldi. Yes. Was this the first Vivaldi concerto you played or had you played other Vivaldi concertos before? What's your kind of story with this piece? You know, it might be the first Vivaldi concerto I played. I remember when I bought my first sheet music of it, uh, there was a wonderful sheet music store for our young listeners. A store is a space where you... <laughs> enter and there are goods displayed and you exchange your money for those goods money is used to be paper or metal that represented a value um yeah so there used to be a beautiful music store behind carnegie hall uh called mm. Patelson's joseph Patelson's music and i moved to New Jersey, northern New Jersey, when I was 14, 13, I think. And from where? Fr well, I, I'm born in Israel, or let's say I was born in Israel. Uh, I moved to the, to the United States when I was almost 11, and I lived in Texas. And like all Israelis, that's, that's where we moved. Yeah, to, right? the next step. <laughs> Very welcoming down there in Texas. At any rate, um, Texas, I'll get back to the sheet music story, but Texas, yeah, okay. think of it what you like. Uh, Texas has the United States' most active and multi-layered school music program. Yeah, that's true. As your listeners may or may not know, uh, the United States does not institutionally support arts in the schools. Uh, which is very unfortunate, but Texas does. And uh, so I started playing the cello in a Texas middle school in Tyler, Texas. Uh, oh, wow. Before that point, there was no real reason for me to choose the cello or choose music. Uh, of course, there is a lot of art and music in Israel, but my family, while being appreciative of the arts, didn't pursue the arts and so and I had no interest it wasn't on my radar as a child uh, but moving to Texas for various reasons I chose the cello and started playing in middle school seventh grade and very soon thereafter the school teacher thought that I had some 
proclivity for the instrument and thought that I should have private lessons. And so she recommended a private teacher with whom I got on very well. And at some point after beginning my lessons with Mrs. Rezig, uh, she gave me a tape for your young listeners. <laughs> a tape. You know what I mean? They're going to, you know, I've done the bit. They can Everybody Google knows it. The joke. Yeah. They can Google what a, what a yeah. tape is. A cassette, a cassette tape. A cassette yes. tape. Not a, not a, yeah. a hi-eight tape or not hi-eight. Um, what, what are they called? Uh, what? The ones that used to be, you don't even know what this is. A-track. Uh, A-track <laughs> I mean, tapes. Those were, right, right, right. Those were yeah. also called tape. And they're called tapes because the music is recorded on tape. Anyway. Yep. Uh, she gave me a tape of music that I that she thought I would enjoy, and that music was uh, it was a recording that had Vivaldi, Tartini, and C.P.E. Bach on it. Ooh! And the Vivaldi was this concerto, the concerto in C minor, R.V. four hundred one. And this was not the first classical music I had heard, but probably the first cello music I had heard. And it, the, the name of the tape, I Googled it today. Uh, it's called the Baroque Cello. Uh, I have no recollection of the Tartini or the CPE Bach, despite the fact that I adore CPE Bach and have recorded his concertos. Uh, I do remember very much both how the recording of the Vivaldi sounded and the impact it had on me. And this was played by a guy named Klaus Stork, uh, who did not have a massive international career, but apparently had a real interest in lesser known music. And uh, it was a very, very effective performance of a very dark and dramatic piece. And I remember it making a very big impression on me. Vivaldi was one of the most famous and prolific Baroque composers. He composed at the start of the 18th century in Venice, Italy. You might know his Four Seasons, which we talked about with Cutty Debrezzeni in episode 5, and his music has been used for many films and TV shows. The cello concerto Guy's brought today was written in 1720, which was exactly 300 years ago, and was when there were actual pirates in the Caribbean. <laughs> And I felt, I felt so close to this kind of music that a couple of tapes later, I remember being on a trip with my parents and buying, before we left, buying a recording. I found a, a cassette tape recording of the Dvorak Cello Concerto with Leonard Rose, who was Yo-Yo Ma's teacher. And I remember listening to the Dvorak Concerto and feeling that this was like modern music. I didn't understand it at all. It was so far from the music that I felt comfortable with, which at that point was Baroque music. You know, the Dvorak Cello Concerto is the height of romanticism. It's the most lyrical, gorgeous. I mean, the orchestration is incredible. The wind writing in the orchestra is unbelievable. And I know this because I played a couple 
concerto is sitting in the back of the cello section, I could hear the winds and you suddenly realize the magic that's going on. At any rate, it's a, it's, it's very much not a gnarly, thorny contemporary work. You just heard Guy talking about being struck by hearing the Dvorak cello concerto for the first time and how vastly different it is to Vivaldi. These concertos were written 174 years apart in very different parts of the world, so it's not surprising that they sound different. Here's the opening cello solo of the Dvorak. And here's the opening cello solo of the Vivaldi. what kind of thing I felt comfortable with. A very, you know, harmonically not particularly adventurous, uh, very neat forms and compact. That's what the Vivaldi has to offer. But also a lot of drama, a lot of moodiness, and uh, the texture is very dark, uh, especially in this concerto. There are 27 known uh, concertos for solo cello by Vivaldi. By comparison, there are like 40-something bassoon concertos and I think 300-and-something violin concertos out of a total of yeah, about... Yeah, so many. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think it's about 500... It's over 500 concertos for various instruments and just for orchestra that Vivaldi composed. So much so that there used to be a saying that, you know, Vivaldi wrote the same concerto 500 times over, which is a terrible thing to say about a in- very inventive composer. Uh yeah, not we don't think it's true. We don't think it's true. Um, I adore Vivaldi, uh, but at any rate, it's like saying the Beatles wrote the same song however many times over because they used mostly the same instrumentation, except for you know, obviously Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> at any rate, um, so that was my first uh, encounter with, with solo cello music and with Vivaldi and with this concerto. And it obviously made a huge impression. And when I moved a couple of years later to New Jersey, uh, my parents took me on our, me and my siblings on our first trip to New York city, because we lived about 45 minutes away from there. And of course I had to go see where Carnegie hall was. So I went to see it and then saw this music shop and went in and it was like, you know, they had everything. They had everything, although I have to say, <laughs> there's this, I, I actually know you're, you're both in, in The Hague, Den Haag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I know Den Haag somewhat, uh, but I used to live in Amsterdam. I lived there for, for a year and I studied with a Dutch cellist named Anner Bilsma. And Bilsma talked to me about Pedelsons because, you know, Bilsma, of course, was as all Dutch musicians uh, living in Amsterdam are. 
they feel uh, allegiance. I don't even know if Van Poppels is open anymore. Is it? Uh, What's the first name? It's there's two names, right? One oh, is Bruckman and Van Poppels. Yeah. There you go. And that one, it exists. That one does still exist in both Amsterdam and Utrecht. Okay, There's cool. Another one, yeah. Well, good for them. So that's awesome. At any rate, um, Bilsma told me, you know, yeah, Pedelsen's is nice. I go there and I say, I need a Shostakovich sonata. And they say, sure, it's right here. Here's a Shostakovich cello sonata. And I go to Van Poppel's and he says, uh, which of these 10 editions would you like? Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, everything is better. Everything is better in Amsterdam, no doubt. Um, but at any rate, you know, it had it had everything. And I just like like a maniac. I mean other 14 year olds uh, i don't know what 14 year olds collect uh but but i had that not vivaldi concertos not vivaldi <laughs> concertos and i remember my mom looking at me and like like tallying up like you know it's 100 150 dollars and <laughs> you know and 150 dollars was worth more then <laughs> than yes. it is now yeah so at any rate, I, I bought a, an edition, which I still have, uh, by Ricordi, which is Ricordi is an Italian publisher that under the direction of uh, Ottorino Respighi, great 20th century composer, sought to publish everything that Vivaldi, that was available by Vivaldi. And when you got the the uh, not the manuscript the edition when you got the edition from this that store um, near Carnegie Hall did you immediately try and go home and play that piece totally absolutely <laughs> yeah. oh yeah for sure you know I remember looking at it and thinking oh this is how this goes and this is how that's played and it's a very you know it's a difficult concerto uh, yeah. Vivaldi wrote a, a, a range it, it should be noted Vivaldi was arguably the greatest violinist in Europe at the time. Uh, and for instance, with the violin concertos, he composed some that suited his own abilities, uh, some that suited the ability of the, uh, dedicatee or the person who paid for the concerto, because, you know, today you go to Venice and you buy a postcard or you buy some memento, uh, in 1720, you went to Venice and if you played the violin, you went over to Vivaldi and, and you paid him whatever he charged for a concerto. And a few days later, you had your concerto. Uh, that was your memento. Uh, that was one way in which he composed these things. And sometimes he comes... Pretty good one. It's a yeah. pretty good one. Pretty good one. I would love that. I would love that as a souvenir. Like, what'd you get when you went to Venice? Oh, you know. A concerto. For me. And, you know, you literally went... Well, you literally went to his house. I mean, you know, Be yeah. Beethoven sold tickets to his own concerts. You know, Handel sold to, you know subscriptions to his own concerts. You you might have gotten the Butler, but you also might have gotten Handel. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you go to an Aerosmith concert, do you go over to Steven Tyler's house, knock on the door, and no. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I want two tickets, please. <laughs> <laughs> totally it's crazy. So at any rate, um, he also composed. Uh, well, sometimes the 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 person who commissioned the concerto didn't have great ability. And sometimes he also, of course, Vivaldi famously was a teacher. And we don't know the level of his students at the Ospedale della Pietà, which is where he taught. But some of them may have been terrific, some of them not so much. So there are various levels of concerto. So the same with the cello concertos. There are a few that are on the simpler side. 
They're lovely, but not taxing from a technical point of view. And then there are some that are extremely difficult by any standard. And this one is closer to that. There are a few that are more difficult. And I should say that when I made this recording, I wanted to record my favorite concertos, but also the ones that I found the hardest. Mm. Well, but it's also quite an interesting um, concerto in itself, right? I mean, it's it's not it doesn't come across at the beginning as this really flashy piece, does it? It starts quite kind of static and melancholy, and then then the cello has these like sort of tantrum like interjections throughout. How do you find, I mean, you recorded it and I'm assumed you've performed it many times as well. When you come back to this piece, how does it feel to kind of get into the zone? What characters do you do you think of when you're creating this piece again? I'm, I'm glad you said the word character because that is, for anyone trying to wrap their head around Vivaldi, uh, the word character should be first and foremost <laughs> in your approach, I think. That's my suggestion. Uh, Vivaldi, of course, famous son of Venice. And if you've been to Venice, and even if you haven't, you know that Venice, the Venetians are not just Italian, they're Venetians. They have their own dialect, they have their character. This is the birthplace of Carnevale, you know, which you can... Uh, read about and learn turning the world essentially upside down. Um, so, you know, this man must have been full of character and just listen to his music. Uh, the only thing you can do badly with this music is to just play it without putting much thought into what kind of characters you're trying to bring out. Very much like an actor looks at a script and decides what am I going to, what's the motivation, what's the background, and how am I going to play this, literally. Uh, we do the same thing, and especially with this music, which is so compact, you really have to profile the different characters that are available in the music. This is a very unique concerto, I would say, in within Vivaldi's output, and certainly within the cello concertos. And a couple of things that make it literally unique are that, first of all, it seems like it was composed in Rome, not in Venice, while Vivaldi was traveling. There are two features in this concerto that are unique. One is that the second violin line so it's composed for solo cello and string ensemble, which is comprised of a first violin, a second violin, a viola, and a what's called a basso continuo, which is con continuous bass. It's the bottom line, and that line is shared by various bass instruments. So a cello and then usually a double bass and also a harpsichord or an organ. 
so those are the, the, the that's the typical Vivaldi concerto ensemble. In this concerto, he takes the second violin line and the viola and combines them. And so they're both doubling each other. And it is not known why he did that. But two violins playing is not the same as one violin playing plus a violin that's doubled by a viola. The, you know, the violin and the viola can play many of the exact same notes, but because of their different size, they sound slightly different. What we call the, the, the tone color, the color of the sound is different. It's like you can have two red wines, two Merlots, and they, they taste different slightly. They have some characteristics that are the same, yeah. but not all of them. So, you know, he made a choice that impacts the color of the piece. He could have just written for two violins, but he said, no, I want to take this player and add this sound to this sound. He was thinking about sound, the sound quality of this concerto. Um, and, and that's unique. The other thing is that this is a very contrapuntal piece. There is a lot of counterpoint. Counterpoint is like the it's it's the way in which two or more voices in music or you know parts relate to one another and usually there is some level of imitation between them. They they both have roles to play and it's it's there are a lot of rules to follow. It's one line or more against another and how they operate. And Vivaldi doesn't usually do this. There is some conversation between the top lines sometimes, but there's not a lot of imitation uh, between the various parts. And here you have right off in the beginning, you have the first violin beginning by itself, immediately answered by the second violin, playing basically the same music in imitation. And then finally you have the, the bass coming in also imitating them. And true to fashion, uh, when the cello enters, the cello doesn't reflect on this material at all. That's the orchestra's material. The cello has its own. So in a way, the character is set by the ensemble. And even though the material is different for the soloist, uh, the, 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 the soloist has to either accept the character or highlight how the character is different from what the ensemble has done. And the soloist comes in several times, but four times, I think. 
And so we have opportunities to comment differently on this material. And more or less in the first movement, at least, the material for the orchestra remains basically the same. And sort of a dark, I mean, it's sort of dark. Extremely dark. It's extremely dark. It's not very fast. There is a slow element, slow and and heavy, like a hot summer kind of thing, mm. uh, which we're all experiencing right now. Yeah. Well, no, you're experiencing right now. I'm experiencing. That's right. I forgot. You're in Holland. Yeah. We are really not experiencing a hot summer. It's just well, been raining all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, the year that I was there in Holland, it barely rained. It only rained. At, like, Yeah, what? it was weird. I know. Really? Yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it was very strange. Um. Do you have favorite other bits of this piece? I, I love the whole thing. There's something I look forward to in every movement. I mean, I love the... Um, it gives you everything. It gives you a chance to play really fast notes and lots of open strings and loud and things like that. It sounds very pedestrian, but that's a lot of fun. And a moment later, in, in the first... In, in the second entrance, for instance, in the, in the first movement... Uh, starts with very fast notes and then right after that you have a moment of lyricism So he's really interested in giving the listener many different characters, many different approaches to this instrument um, that is known for its singing qualities, human voice qualities. You called it the sexiest instrument. I, I have heard people say it's closest to the human voice. Of course, that's what people say about every one of their favorite instruments, you know. Um, <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> at any rate, uh, but you know, so you have that. You have this very beautiful, solemn, dark second movement um, that almost has no parting of the clouds that cover it. There's one moment that goes into major, uh, the major mode, uh, and it lasts such a short time he really is unrelenting it's not uncommon for a composer to write a concerto in a minor key and give you the outer movements in minor and the major the second movement the middle movement in major as a form of that's sort of a yeah relief or whatever relief exactly to 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 give the listener uh relief is a perfect word uh and yeah um variety whatever but Vivaldi really is committed to this color. This is what he wants, the entire concerto.
And then you get to the third movement, which is much more rambunctious. And, um, you know, we started with three down bows, like, like hammer strokes, very, um, very driven. Uh, it's the first time in the concerto that Vivaldi has the orchestra play while the soloist is playing, adding that texture. Previously, it was only the continuous section that played with the soloist, so the violins and viola only commented when the cello wasn't playing. In the third movement, they all perform uh, at the same time. And in fact, the, the second entrance of the orchestra, which starts with the, with the second violins slash viola, happens while the cello is still playing. It's kind of like interrupting mm -hmm. the cello, which I really love. So there's lots of moments in this piece. It's a very short, you know, Vivaldi Concerto is 10 minutes max, something like that, maybe 11. Uh, they're very accessible, but there's a, a, a huge landscape of opportunity for expression, different kinds of expression. Kind of like a storm in a teacup. Yeah, exactly. And and exactly, it's, it's, it's very compact and, and very powerful. And I don't know that this is what I experienced when I was 13 and hearing this for the first time, but it certainly hooked me. There's a couple of other significant moments that I remember, also having to do with recordings, uh, that really put me on this course. Um, but I, I credit Vivaldi, and to some extent, I credit Klaus Stork for doing a good, good enough job that it interested me um, in in getting started. And I'm a believer in wherever you are. Does you know if you change any one detail? from your past, you'd be in a different place and um, sort of opposite chaos theory. And I think that that recording brought me to a, to a particular place in a way, very significant to me. Yeah, it seems like it's really shaped your, your whole life. I mean, you're still loving it and it's yeah been with you since childhood. Um, what is your dream performance of this piece? I just, any performance. Uh, no, I, I, I would love, you know, any opportunity. I, I've performed this piece as part of sort of like a concerto concert, lots of people playing different concertos, or in concerts where I played like five or six of these things. So any opportunity to play it is a dream. Well, and we did play a set of concerts together where you played a different one of these That's right. Vivaldi concertos. That's right. Um, and that was also very nice. 
beautiful concerto totally lovely g major concerto that's on the recording as well and also one of the concertos that i heard early on in my musical sort of upbringing uh that's a flashier concerto and that's part of the problem with this it's not a problem but the very qualities that make the c minor concerto so powerful are qualities that don't necessarily translate well uh, you know, in, in within a larger concert. Uh, and so it's a hard one to program. I've actually not performed it as often as some others uh, because it's, it's, you know, it's certainly not a downer, but it's somber, right? And Vivaldi offers so many concertos that are so exciting. It's like Baroque rock and roll. I mean, it's like, it's great. Yeah. Uh, that That's what audiences tend to, expect when they see a Vivaldi concerto. So uh, I've, I seem to have performed this one fewer times than some of the others. Yeah. How does it feel playing all of them together though, when you're like programming many concertos after the other? Is that tiring? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's tiring. I did that in preparation for this recording. We had a few performances where we went out and, and did as many of these as we could. And um, yeah, it's it's tiring, but it's also exhilarating. You know, if you do five of these, you're on stage for just a little bit longer than you are when you played the Dvorak cello concerto, which is like a symphony. Uh, but again, they're so different and the kind of concentration, I, I wouldn't say I did the best job I could. Uh, now that I think of it, I think that what I would like to do if I had that opportunity again is to really place my concentration not so much on the perf on the playing of them but on the characterizing of them and making sure that I am as different a guy fisherman as I can be for each one as they require to give yeah. to give as as wide a, a spectrum of the inventiveness of this composer uh, and that's that's more difficult than just playing the right notes in time and in tune that's like, that's the highest calling one can have. But Vivaldi really gives you that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I want to be mindful of your time. And so I think we need to start wrapping it up. But we have one final question that we ask at the end of every interview. Ooh. And um, that is, is there a piece from another instrument's repertoire that you're jealous of? Oh, my God, so many. I mean... <laughs> I think, well, playing something like the E major partita, the, especially the prelude, is mm. like, what's better than that? Playing a fugue, being, being able, and I say being able to play a fugue by Bach on violin, knowing that even the greatest violinists are barely able to play them. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but certainly, you know, I've tried to play them on cello, and it just, it's not good. Um, the, sh the, the Chacon, anyway, so much of Bach. The, the Passacaglia and, and, and Fugue in C minor. I mean, can you imagine making that happen? It's, it's, it's amazing, you know? That, things that, I wouldn't say jealous because I'm so grateful for these pieces and I love hearing them on their own, on their intended instruments. So I can experience them, but actually creating that sound, you know, putting your foot down on the pedal on a low C and feeling the church resonate, uh, that in that piece that's got to be incredible yeah. yeah 
That's like a total organ dream piece of mine too. Oh man. If I could do that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Make a building vibrate. Yeah. (laughs) Playing the, the, the Brahms, uh, the, the second movement of the violin concerto. I mean, it's like swimming through butter. It's like, (laughs) you could just die after you do that. You know. <laughs> well, but like, you know, knowing you've achieved the best humanity has had to offer. So Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. And um what's the best way for people to sort of support you or get to purchase this C D or get in touch with you or Oh. Well, thank you for asking. Um I don't have a website. It used to be niche to have a website, and I feel like now it's niche not to have a website. Like I'm that so you're so I'm so you're... fringe and so mysterious. He doesn't <laughs> even have a website. Wow. You can and I and I don't usually give my personal uh, uh, email out, but you can certainly contact me if you'd like to purchase a CD directly from me. I'll sign it for you. Yeah. Uh, or you can find them on Amazon or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's just good for us to know, to give our listeners the best way to purchase the album that gives you the most money. Oh, well, that's very kind. You can write me at G Fishman, G-F-I-S-H-M-A-N, and this is long, at handleandhyden.org. That is... Uh, we'll link it in the show notes. Link it in the show. That's my, my email there, and I can I, I will reply to you there. But um, you awesome. can also just write and say hi. You can also just write and say you were wrong about everything you said, and that's okay. <laughs> so. Inciting some controversy here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and oh, also you now run a podcast as well. Sure do. And you can hear that if you like. You can hear that at handleonheiden.org slash podcast. Very simple. Great. Um, yeah. Yeah. How is it to be the the guest of a podcast for once and not the creator? Well, long-winded answers are not my problem. So I love <laughs> I love sitting here and just talking and you know, I see you and I hear you and I can relate to the things you're doing really great and I can I don't know if you have the same challenges as I do, but being present to your subject, to your interviewee and also thinking mm. about how this sounds and what's your next question, you know, yeah. it's very difficult. It is. Um, it's hard. It's very difficult. Yeah. And I really admire I admire you for doing it. I admire people who do this for a living, you know, any of the NPR personalities who have yeah. interview shows. That's so, you know, and I know how much editing goes into mine. I wonder if editing goes into theirs or they just sound like that after 30 years of doing it. I, I don't know. I, I wonder this also because so much editing goes into for ours sure. and it takes so long. For sure. And I'm like, why do I say like so many times? <laughs> you know, I don't know. And, you know, there are things about my speech, my normal speech that I don't mind. I, I put pauses between certain words if I'm thinking. But when you listen back to it, it sounds terrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Guy. Oh, thank you for asking me. It's such a pleasure. And I, I wish you success and longevity with it. It's a wonderful thing. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in to Outside the Music Box. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Guy Fishman. 
If so, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast and tell all your friends about it. It really makes a difference in the algorithm of the internet magic and helps our visibility. And a big shout out to Joanna Neuschatz for our help with editing. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any questions or want to share music that you love, you can write to us at concerts.musicbox at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at musicboxconcerts. Breaking news, we also have a Twitter account, and you can tweet us at Outside Music Box. In the show notes, we've included links to three Spotify playlists, one specifically for the pieces in this episode, and the others for all the pieces we've talked about on this podcast so far. However, we really encourage you to purchase music in order to support the artists. The best way to purchase Guy's CD of the Vivaldi Concertos is by emailing him at gfishman at handelandhyden.org, and you can also check out the Handel and Haydn website where you can find their podcast hosted by Guy called Tuning In. See you next time outside the music box. Music